Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 59 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. We're finally into some early spring inspections and I'm gearing up to move some of the bees to their first nectar flow of the season. short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me welcome back everyone and this week has seen that lovely warm early spring disappear down a rabbit hole very very quickly and we're once again back down to i guess more normal temperatures for the time of year a lot of days over the past week have been down into single figures temperature wise and the last couple of days have seen frosts on the truck windscreen which is as much frost as I think I saw all of the winter. The good news is I've been able to carry out some inspections on all of my colonies now during that warm spell and I have to say that on the whole they're looking really strong and healthy. I have colonies with as many as eight frames of sealed brood ready to explode into life and with our main early nectar flow of oilseed rape just starting to flower it looks as though we might see an alignment of good fortune and a decent early crop of honey. That said, of course, it's way too early to be counting jars of honey on the shelf from a crop that's not yet past 10% in flower. An awful lot can change between now and then, and we have to be careful not to get too far ahead of ourselves. I recently posted a lengthy video to my Patreon page showing my first inspections at the University Apiary. Overall, it was a really good first inspection, but it did throw up a number of questions that I'd like to go over and hopefully give some explanation as to why I did some of the manoeuvres with the hives that I have. If you haven't seen the video, it's available on my Patreon page and I'll post a link to it in the show notes. There's also a shorter version available on YouTube. I carried out inspections on three very different colonies on the video to show my approach to each one. The first was a straightforward single brood box colony. The second was an overwintered nucleus colony still in the nuke box. And the third was a colony that had been undersupered for the winter. I obviously inspected all of the colonies in the apiary, but these were the three that I chose to show on the video. The first colony was the one that had a massive varroa drop when I treated with oxalic acid in the winter. I wanted to have a closer look and see how they were faring. They looked really well and were building up very strongly. One of the benefits of this apiary site is the huge amount of early season pollen that's available to the bees. This means strong, healthy brood, and this year the bees were able to get out very early because the weather was so mild. This brings me to the main question that I've been asked since posting the video, and it revolves around when to add the first super to a colony after winter. I think there's some concern that bees are somehow going to swarm really early this uh, season. As with most things in beekeeping, it boils down to a judgment call, but you can make some initial assessments of the colony, and that will help you in making that decision as to whether to add a super and queen excluder or not. When I inspected this colony, it was obvious they had grown and they were doing really well, but that alone isn't enough to make me add a super. What I did notice, however, was the large amount of sealed brood that was already present in the brood box, which already had a large number of adult bees in it. With so much sealed brood, it's important to remember some of the timelines and numbers that you get. 
a single frame of brood will produce enough bees to probably fill a couple of seams between frames, so if they all emerged over a few days, they would quickly become congested in a single brood box. It's easy to see in this colony that the brood has been sealed for several days prior to me inspecting, so I would expect workers to emerge around the time of the next inspection if I were doing weekly inspections. However, with the possibility of the weather preventing an inspection a week later, it might be the case that I wouldn't be inspecting for nearly two weeks, and by that time the bees would have definitely emerged, filling the brood box, becoming congested and potentially triggering a swarming reaction. By adding the queen excluder and super above the brood box, I effectively give the colony about half as much space again as they have, so that any emerging bees have space to move into and not become congested. I'm not adding the super to the hive because I think I'm going to get a nectar flow and see honey being stored. And this is a really important distinction to make for beginner beekeepers. You don't always add a super to produce honey. There are lots of reasons why you might add a super. In this example, I'm adding it to give worker bees room to expand into. Of course, if we happen to get a nectar flow and the bees start to store honey in the super, well, that's just a bonus, but it's not the main reason for adding a super here. Another reason for adding a super might be that the type of bees you have simply means they're filling the brood box full of brood, wall-to-wall -wall brood, and there simply isn't enough room for the queen to continue laying. So you add a super beneath the queen excluder to give a little more room for extra brood. You could as easily give them another brood box, but a lot of beekeepers like to operate on what's known as a brood and a half. That's a brood box with a super acting as the complete brood nest area. So that's why I added a super to this colony, not to build a crop of honey, but to give the colony more room to move into, and hopefully reduce any imminent threat of swarming. The super has gone above the queen excluder, so I'm not giving the queen more room to lay into, because she'll have plenty of room once those workers emerge from those capped cells. But it's really just in an attempt to give them more room and reduce that threat of swarming. If only preventing swarming was that easy, but at least it does help. Moving on to the next inspection on the extended video, I looked at the overwintered nucleus colony. To give a little background on this colony, late in the autumn, when we were treating Varroa with the Apistan strips, I noticed a single worker bee showing signs of type 2 syndrome of chronic bee paralysis virus. And so, on top of the roof, I'd written... CBPV with a question mark to remind myself at this time of the year. I use some water-based coloured pens to mark my queens and these also serve as a useful pen to write on top of the roofs. Just an odd note to remind myself of any issues that are there immediately prior to taking the roof off. I still keep written inspection notes on my iPad but these roof notes simply serve to highlight any immediate issue that I need to remember. So as soon as I removed the roof, I was looking at the bees for signs of chronic bee paralysis virus. My initial view of the workers was positive. There appeared to be no signs of type 2 syndrome. That's the dark, almost black, hairless bees, as opposed to the type 1 syndrome, where the bees are shaking. The bees I was looking at were above the crime board, emerging from the feed hole. So the next step was to remove the crime board. Again, I couldn't see any black hairless bees, so things were looking up. Removing the first frame revealed the problem might not have gone away, though. Although the bees were not black and hairless, they were a little shaky. 
not shaking violently as I've shown in my previous CBPV videos, but they certainly didn't look normal. I'm going to pause here and offer up some advice for any beginner beekeepers that are listening in. The single most important thing that you can learn when considering bee pests and diseases is to learn what healthy bees and healthy brood look like. If you know what healthy bees and brood look like, you'll know immediately when things are not normal and are unhealthy. This is so important, I'm going to say it again. Learning what healthy bees and brood look like is the single most important thing you can do when you consider bee pests and diseases. And these bees didn't look normal. I have to say, they didn't look terribly unwell either. Even as an experienced beekeeper, you can sometimes look at your bees and almost, well, try to will them to be healthy. I really did want them to be healthy, but unfortunately, there was something not quite right. In the video, I described that I was going to go away and have a coffee and have a think about what I'd seen, and that's really important. That said, by the time I'd got to the end of the recording session, I was pretty convinced in my own mind that they had type 1 syndrome of chronic bee paralysis virus. There's really not much to do at the moment, but I will move them into a full-size hive and give them more space. In talking to Professor Giles Budge from Newcastle University, it was apparent that he felt that bees that were in very close proximity to each other within the hive were on balance more likely to spread the virus and of course that seems to make perfect sense. So giving them some more room might help. It does throw up the question of what to do in the long term with my CBPV colonies. And as a bee farmer, I'm tempted to go down the destruction route rather than see it spread into my other colonies. We'll have to wait and see. I've yet to make a final decision on that. So on to the final colony shown in the extended video. And this one was a commercial brood box that I placed a super beneath for the winter. I did this just to show the method. I don't normally under-super my commercial brood boxes. I wanted to show how I reorganised the setup back to a state where the super is back above a queen excluder on top of the brood box. I chose a perfect colony for the demonstration as I'd cocked things up a little, as I'll explain. The issue I found was that she'd been down into the super and laid a number of frames up with eggs. Now, that's not normally a problem, but this time I'd inadvertently added a super which contained drone brood cells, and so now I have a super with about five frames of developing drone brood. Again, not a major problem, and you can tackle this situation in a variety of ways depending on your setup and your needs. The important thing to remember when going about the reorganisation process is to take your time and make sure you get the queen back down into the bottom brood box before you put the queen excluder back on. Sometimes easier said than done. However, on this occasion, I managed to find the queen quite quickly and get her back down into the brood box. So my method for reorganising the stack is quite simple, really. I remove the roof and place this upturned on the ground in front of the hive. I then lift off the brood box, which has been sat on top of the super all winter, and place this diagonally across the top of the roof. This then allows me to remove the super from the floor, and at this point I've not inspected anything. I've just broken down the hive. I stand the super on its edge next to the floor and stand, but away from the brood box. I don't want the queen sneaking from one box to the other while my back is turned. The brood box then gets lifted back onto the floor and I normally follow this with a quick look in the roof to see if the queen has possibly wandered down into the roof which has happened to me several times in the past. Now I can settle into 
my main inspection of the brood box and my primary aim being to find the queen. As it happens, I spotted her on one of the brood frames about four frames in. This is where having your queens marked can really help. I went through the rest of the brood frames, checking quickly for stores, brood, checking the general health of the bees and brood, before squeezing all the frames back together and moving on. Knowing the queen is in the brood box makes the rest of the inspection a doddle, really. Well, that's in most situations. The next item to go back on the hive was the queen excluder, cleaned and scorched over winter and ready to be reused. The super goes back on top of the queen excluder, and this now means the queen can no longer get back up into the super to lay eggs. Unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, I'd used a super full of drawn drone foundation, so all of the cells the queen had laid in were unfertilised drone brood. This could be seen as a disaster, but beekeepers can always turn a bad situation to their advantage, and it opened up several possibilities to me. Firstly, I could use the drone brood as a mechanical trap for Varroa. Varroa mite will preferentially select drone brood cells as the brood is capped longer than worker brood, 24 days instead of just 21. This means I could simply allow the brood to become capped and then remove it along with any Varroa that might be in the cells, pop it into the freezer and then allow the chickens to do the rest. Another option would be to allow the drone brood to emerge because they're from a colony that I want to use for mating purposes. Having an excess of drones from selected colonies means you have a greater chance of any virgin queens mating with a gene pool of your choice rather than random mating, and this could give you traits that you're hoping to select for. One of the problems of having drones above the queen excluder is at the moment they're trapped. Because they're so much larger than the workers, they can't squeeze through the queen excluder, so unless I go back in to let them out, they could die up in the super. One way of managing this is to use a queen excluder with an entrance above the excluder. This will let the drones out without having to physically remove the super. If you have a bailey board, this will do the trick nicely. So that was the three very different situations I found in just three of my colonies, and it makes for an interesting day's inspecting. I continued to inspect the rest of the colonies in the apiary after we'd completed the filming, and all of the remaining colonies were in excellent shape, so I'm looking forward to seeing how the early season progresses. As this podcast comes out to you on Patreon, I'll be moving quite a number of my colonies over to a large crop of oilseed rape, so I'm expecting big things this spring. Of course, that will all depend on the weather, which for now has taken a turn towards cooler days and frosty nights. As with most things in beekeeping, moving bees is a fairly simple process. It just needs a little preparation and then there's no need to rush. A little care and making sure all the hives are strapped down before we set off and what could possibly go wrong. I'll let you know next week how it all goes. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast and do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping, short and sweet. Sweet.